Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. So last year, we focused on the red letters of Jesus. And the goal, again, was to know Him better. I hope that you know Jesus better now that we've been through the red letters. And to obey Him better. And that's what we really kind of want to focus on in the first part of 2021. But also, to love Him more. And that's, that's where I think we really want to start with in this discussion about the church and about the, the, the business of the church. What are we to be about as Christians? And we're going to start thinking about um, our role in the mission that Jesus gave first to the apostles and then that they gave to their, the rest of the, of the Christians in sharing the gospel with the lost, sharing the gospel with the world. Just to remind ourselves of what Jesus commissioned his apostles to do, we take our minds back to Luke chapter 24, to Matthew 28, to Mark 16, and we remember, first off, what the gospel is. You remember Jesus said in Luke 24, He said, Thus it is written, thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. The gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what God, that's, that's what God intended from the beginning of time. It, is, it was written, it was prophesied, but it was also, more importantly, it was necessary for Jesus to die on the cross so that we could have remission of sins, so that we could be reconciled to God. That's the gospel. We also remember that Jesus told them that it was by God, it was God's plan. Remember, it was written and it was necessary, and so it was it was God's plan that this would happen. But we also know that he told them to go out and preach the gospel in his name. That means by his authority. And so Jesus authorized the preaching of the gospel. He, you remember in Matthew chapter 28 when he said, All power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He infused his authority into the gospel. And not just in the gospel itself, but in the preaching of the gospel. We see that, uh, that Jesus told them to go in Matthew chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 16, go into all the world. In, in Matthew, he said, go therefore. And so we see then that the command is a, a proactive approach. Uh, how, do, how, do we often, how do we often think about the, the Great Commission related to ourselves, right? If some people come and ask us about Jesus, we might tell them, right? But that's not the direction that Jesus gave his apostles. He wanted them to be proactive in taking the gospel. And so he told them to go, or Matthew says, as you go, right? It's proactive, and it's not passive. The sharing of the gospel was not a passive act. It wasn't something that, that somebody acted upon you. And so you didn't wait. You didn't have to wait until somebody pulled the gospel out of you, drug it out of you. The apostles didn't wait for the gospel to be drug out of them. They shared the gospel freely. And that was the commission that Jesus gave them. He said he wanted them to go, and he wanted them to preach. He wanted them to boldly proclaim the gospel to who? To the whole world. It's a universal message. And you think about then what that commission is. It's a commission that is to take the gospel to the whole world, to boldly proclaim it by the authority of Jesus, because it's God's plan from the beginning. And the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But it also 
required response, and we've noted this before, the gospel is not just a good story that people can read and then put away and read another book. The gospel requires man's response. And that response is either going to be they're going to hear it, they're going to believe it, and they're going to obey it, or they're not going to believe it. You remember in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus differentiated between the wise man and the foolish man, not in that they heard the word. The wise man heard the word, the foolish man heard the word, but it's what they did with it. The wise man was wise because he, he heard and he did what Jesus taught. The foolish man was foolish because he heard, but he did not do. And so in Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, Jesus says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. That's the wise and the foolish response to the gospel. And there will be people who will respond that way. And so <clears throat> Jesus gave this command to the apostles. Now I want to I shift gears for a second, I wanna, well, and we'll come back to that in just a little bit. But I want to ask you a personal question. Do you remember when you obeyed the gospel? Can you picture that day or that night, that time when you, when you came to a, a full understanding of what Jesus did for you on the cross? And that cut your heart. You were convicted by it. And you, as we're going to see in just a little bit, you cried out just like these, these people on the day of Pentecost. Men and brethren, what do we do? What, what do I do to resolve this? Let's go back even farther. Do you remember the first time that you really understood what the gospel was about? I can remember growing up, I can remember my dad getting up to preach. And for a lot of time, it was just, that was time, you know, you played with cars or you drew or you, you did something to preoccupy your time because the message wasn't relevant to me. I didn't understand it. But I can remember Almost, I can't remember the date and I can't remember the year, but I can remember the experience I was when I was sitting there and the first time I realized that message is for me. Can you remember that? Can you remember the first time that message was for you? You remember how you felt? You remember all the different emotions that were going through your mind? Maybe it was fear. Maybe it was maybe it was regret. Maybe it was. Um, Shame. Maybe it was joy. Maybe it was a, a, a joy of understanding now what you needed to do to be saved. I can remember going through that when I obeyed the gospel here just a few years ago. I can remember being embarrassed. I can remember being ashamed. But I can also remember whenever I came up out of that water of baptism, I can remember the, the overwhelming relief that comes with obedience to the gospel. I want, us to, I want us to think about that today. And I want us to really focus in on that as a why. Why would we share the gospel with anybody else? Now, there's a lot of whys, right? The Bible gives us a lot of whys. There's a sick and dying world out there that needs to hear the gospel. There are people who need to be redeemed. They need to be restored. They need to be, to be taught that their sins separate them from God. But when you make it personal, you're going to begin to develop within yourself a real why for sharing the gospel. So I want you to think then about the, the, the joy that came with the obedience to the gospel, the rejoicing that came, the great gladness that came with your salvation. And now I want us to think about 
Are you the only one that experienced that? I wouldn't be asking the question if you were the only one. Because we all have. Those of us who are Christians have all experienced that great joy. Now, how did you feel toward that person who shared the gospel with you? Do you still have any warmness in your heart? Now, and, and granted, there may, be, there may be events through time that have changed that relationship. But at the time, whenever that person was sharing the gospel with you, how did you feel toward that person? After you obeyed the gospel, how did you feel toward that person? What was, what was their role in your salvation? And if you could play that role in somebody else's life, would that be, a, would that be important to you? Would that change your life, you think? That's what we see in the Scriptures. We see people who, when they obeyed the gospel, they were overjoyed with the salvation that came, but it also had an effect on those people who were sharing the gospel with them. And you know what happened? The church grew. And not just in number. It grew in number, of course. We can see through, <clears throat> through the, the, the book of Acts, we can see how the church, that people were added to the church, that the church multiplied. You probably heard me say this before, but as an engineer, I love reading the book of Acts because you see all these, these mathematical terms there that are applied to the growth of the church. The church was growing. It was multiplying. It was, it was exploding. But you know what else was happening to the church? We use the term edify or substantially built up. The church was being substantially built up by this process. So... If we want the church in Bradleyville to grow, not just in number, but if we want to be spiritually mature and we want to edify each other and we want to edify the community, then we have to do what they did. If we do what they did, we'll be what they were. And if we desire to be the first century church in the 21st century, we need to look back at what the church was doing and we need to do that. So in keeping with that, I want to go back and I want to look at some passages from the book of Acts. And I want to see how when the gospel was shared with people, how they responded and how that response changed the church. And we're going to begin in Acts chapter 2 where, where William read for us. With the preaching of the gospel on the day of Pentecost. And you recall uh, on, in Acts chapter 2, We've noted this many times, but the, the apostles were together in that upper room. There was a great mighty rushing wind. Tongues came down and set upon them, divided tongues as of flames of fire. And they spoke in languages that they had never learned. The people around heard the noise and they came rushing together. And in that multitude, Peter and the other apostles stood up and they preached the gospel message to, to these people. They preached the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. How would people respond to that message? Now we know that a fair number of them responded in a negative way. <laughs> they didn't believe. They rebelled against it. And we can go in later in the book of Acts and we can see how some people were cut to the heart and how they responded. But here we see a certain number of people who when they were cut to the heart, that literally means cut to the quick. When they were, when they were stung by the message, they asked the question. Verse 37, men and brethren, what shall we do? Can you remember how that felt? Can you remember when you were in the same position that these people were in on the day of Pentecost and how that felt? We've noted it before, but there may have been some guilt and some shame and some embarrassment. 
These people were, some of them were literally involved in the, in the crowd that stood there and said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Do you think they were ashamed? Do you think they were, they were, their hearts were torn out of them by this? To know that the one that they were looking for, the Messiah whom they were looking for, they had just put on the cross. We've all been through that when we realize that our sins have been involved in putting Jesus on the cross. That's a hard, that's a hard experience to go through. But it's necessary to get to where we're going to see in just a few verses. When they asked the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter gave that wonderful response. The response that Jesus had told him to give. Repent. Jesus told them to go and preach repentance, right? To preach it to all nations. And so he told them to repent. That means to turn away from their sins. And he told them that each one of you should be baptized in the name by the authority of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's what Jesus told them to preach in Mark chapter 16, in Matthew chapter 28, in Luke chapter 24. The baptism was for the remission of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words... He testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. You know, it took more preaching to get them to the point where they were ready to be baptized. To the point they were ready to obey the gospel. Because sometimes what happens to people when they feel that guilt, when they feel that shame, when they feel that... Think about yourself. How long did you kick against the goads? Now, some people, when they feel that, I mean, they just immediately, they know they want to obey the gospel. I've, all, I've told you all my conversion story, but it started when I was 16, and it wasn't done until, I, until 2016. And I've done the math before, but I've forgotten how many years that is that I kicked against the goads before I finally obeyed the gospel. Some people do that. And so it took more preaching to get these 3,000 to the point where they were ready to obey. But look at verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. I think it's interesting that the, the writer here, Luke, adds that phrase in here, that those who gladly received the word. What was glad about it? Because they knew what it brought. Any of, you, any of you really happy when you go get a vaccine? It just makes you really excited to go get a vaccination. <laughs> I don't think we just get overjoyed with it, but you know what we do realize? We're going to get it. We're going to endure that short period of pain because of the blessings that are going to come from being vaccinate, vaccinated. And you see these people who, when they gladly received the word, they, they, they knew they had to repent. They knew they had to acknowledge their sin to God, and they had to, they had to make... Uh, 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 had to make a confession of their faith in Jesus Christ, but they knew that when they obeyed the gospel, they knew that when they'd been baptized, they would be saved. Not just saved, but they are added to them. You go down to verse 47, you figure out who them is. They were added to the church. Now again, I want you to take you back. When you obeyed the gospel, when you came up out of that water baptism, do you remember how it felt? That's how those people felt. They felt that joy, that relief, that encouragement, that, 
that communion with Christ and His body. And you read on down through the, through the rest of chapter 2, and you see how that was manifested in their lives. They stuck together. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. They hung out together. They ate their meals together. They praised God together. Look at verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Wouldn't you love to have that? You know, we've got a great church family here at Bradleyville. And part of it is because we enjoy being together. There's a great gladness that comes when the church is united in purpose. But there's also a simplicity that comes with it. You know, we don't have to put on airs. We don't have to be fancy in what we do. We are simplistic because the the gospel is simplistic. The church is not a a, a social club that has hierarchy and, and pomp and circumstance to it. There's a simplicity to the church. And the Christians here were enjoying that. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You notice the great joy that people experienced and simply being Christians. Turn forward two chapters to chapter 4, and you'll see this same church. They're growing now. <clears throat> they're, they're, they're expanding. Um, look at verse 32 of chapter 4. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now there were, Nor was there any among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need." And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You notice there's some phrases that speak to the great gladness that they had. They were of one purpose. They were of one mind and one heart. They were willing to share what they had. This wasn't communism in that the apostles of the church were taking possessions from people to distribute from others. They were willingly giving their possessions. Barnabas here, Joseph, had property in Cyprus. He sold the land, he took the money up from it, and he gave it to the apostles. And they distributed it so that everyone had what they needed. There's a great unity in the church. And when we begin to realize that, and we begin to... to to own that in our hearts and in our lives and then to share it with others, the gospel power is going to, the power of the gospel in saving mankind is going to be evident to them. And they're going to want to know more about Jesus and they're going to want to become a part of his body. That's what we're striving to do in 2020 is to show people, show the world the light of Jesus Christ in our lives. And we do it through the, the examples that we see here. Let's look at the next example in Acts chapter 8. So by Acts 8, you remember Stephen's been martyred. The church is being persecuted. And it's being, you, you, I always picture it kind of like a kind of like a grease fire, right? The, the Jews are stamping at the church. They're trying to stamp out the church. And what happens with a grease fire when you stamp it, when you slap it with a towel? You just 
spread the grease, right? That's what happens. Christians are going everywhere preaching the gospel. So the church is beginning to spread now. Philip goes to Samaria and he preaches the gospel there to them. And then the Lord calls him down to a road in the desert near Gaza. And he tells him he wants to run up to a chariot and he wants him to preach the gospel to a man from Ethiopia, a eunuch who's in service to Queen, Queen Candace. And you recall this story. As he runs up there, he asks the question in verse 29, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And in his humiliation his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? The eunuch asked the question, is, he, is this man who wrote this, is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? The Bible says that Philip started that passage and he preached to the eunuch, Jesus Christ. That's all that it says. He preached Christ to him. But you know the response. As they're traveling down the, down the road, this eunuch sees water and he says, See, here is water. What doth hinder? What keeps me from being baptized? When he heard the gospel message, he knew what he needed to do. At some point in that message, he had to have been cut to the heart. And at some point in the message, he knew that he needed to respond. And Philip said, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with all your heart, you may. Where did that go? I just lost my place here. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Look at verse 39. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Do you remember how that felt when you came up out of the water? That's the same way the eunuch felt. Is that a good motivation to teach others the gospel? Is that a good reminder to you of that great feeling of salvation and an encouragement to share the gospel with others? It is to me. You think about your own conversion story. And if you were to take a chapter of the Bible and say, you know what, I want to, I want to insert my conversion story in there. How would it read? And how would it affect you? And how would it affect other people? We see the conversion story of the Ethiopian eunuch, and we see how he went on his way rejoicing. Don't you think he went home and told other people about Jesus Christ? Because he wanted them to have the same experience? One more example we want to look at is over in Acts chapter 16. We read this on Wednesday night in relation to our study of the book of Philippians. Actually, we didn't. I take that back. We read about Lydia, but we didn't read about the Philippian jailer. But you might recall that story as well. Paul and Silas are in Philippi, and they've healed the young woman of her infirmity, of her, of her uh, evil spirit that she has. And for that, they were thrown in prison, and they were beaten as well. And in the, mid, in the middle of the night, there's an earthquake. And the bars of the doors are shook loose. And the jailer, he thinks that the, uh, the jailer who's responsible for keeping them in the jail, he thinks that the prisoners have escaped, and he's about to fall on his sword. That was his duty, really. He was responsible for the prisoners, and if they escaped, it was his life or theirs. Paul stops him. He says, do yourself no harm, for we are all here, verse 28. 
Jailer calls for a light. He runs in, falls trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brings them out, and he says, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Paul responds there to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the words of the Lord to him, and all who were in his house. Do you think at some point in time that that man was cut? We know he was cut because we know of his response. Do any of you remember when you learned the real consequence of your sin? Do you remember being so afraid that you trembled? Do you remember being so, so ashamed that you cried? Some people get that point. Some people are so overwhelmed with the situation. And granted, this man's in a situation where he just goes from just about taking his own life now to being restored, being brought back to life. You could see that there might be some of that, some of that tension that's caused him to reach this point. But some people, when they realize the, the, the gravity of their sin, are overwhelmed by it. I know a man who was that way. Even after he was restored to the church, I can remember him crying when he thought about how his sin put Jesus on the cross. Some people are still cut that way, even after they obey the gospel. But Paul and Silas preached the good news to him. And you remember what he did? I think this is important that Luke puts this in. First thing he did was he repented. You see him, he took them immediately and he washed their stripes. Why did he do that? Probably because he was involved in their persecution. He took them and he washed their stripes. And then what did he do? And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. Can you relate to that man right there? Can you remember being in that situation? Does it make you excited to help other people to experience the great joy of salvation? Now, real quickly, let me ask you the question. What if the apostles hadn't shared the responsibility of evangelism with others. What if they had thought, well, Jesus just gave us the commission, but it's not anybody else's responsibility to do this. What would have happened to the gospel message? What would have happened to the church? If the, apostles, if the evangelism of the church had stopped with the apostles and they hadn't passed it on to faithful men, we've already noted that it was Philip who preached the gospel first to the Samaritans. And this Philip was not the same Philip who was in the list of the apostles. This Philip was a man who was a servant of the church in Jerusalem. What about the Samaritans then? What about the Ethiopian eunuch? What about all those other people who had the gospel preached to them that were by people who were not apostles? What about Silas? And what about Timothy? And what about Luke? And even Demas? And Epaphras? You think about all the people who were associated with the apostles in the preaching of the gospel, who were their, their associates, but were also given instruction to preach the gospel themselves. What if the apostles hadn't taken that responsibility to share it with others? What if they hadn't instilled in them the great joy in sharing the gospel? Where would the church be today? That's a question that, that we can't even answer because we don't know how God would have made that work out for good.
But what we do know is because the apostles shared the gospel, not just the gospel itself, but the responsibility of evangelism, because they shared it with other faithful men, who shared it with other faithful men, who shared it with other faithful men and women. We see the church in existence today. You look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, and you see this command here given to, given, excuse me, given to Timothy by Paul to do this exact thing. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You do the math on that, and there are four generations involved in this sharing of the gospel. You've got Paul, who shared it with Timothy, who shared it with other faithful men, who will able, be able to teach others also. All the way down to 2021. I had to think about that for a second because I started to say 2020. All the way down to 2021 in Bradleyville, Missouri, where there is a responsibility to teach others how to share the gospel. That's what we're going to work on over the next couple weeks and months is to grow not just our knowledge, but to grow our, our courage, to grow our strength, to grow our why for sharing the gospel. So if you have obeyed the gospel, you remember the joy of salvation. What if you could help somebody else see that? What if you could help somebody else see the suffering Savior on the cross? What if you could help somebody else understand that their sins put him there? Would you do it? What if you could help somebody else understand that they can be reconciled to God? That pain that they feel when they understand that their sins put Jesus on the cross can be taken away by Jesus. Would we do it? What if we could share in the joy that people experience when they obey the gospel? Would we do it? Over the next several months, we're going to continue to talk about this, but I want I wanted to start off by helping us understand why. Why are we even talking about this? It's because, first off, Jesus told us to do it. But second off, it's to do it because we know the great joy that comes from experiencing ourselves. Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you understand that He came down to this earth and He died on the cross that He was buried, and that He rose again to make you a part of God's family. Do you understand it? Do you believe it with all your heart? Are you willing to confess the name of Jesus? Are you willing to, to turn away from the sin that's in your life and to, be, to, to, to head on a different path? Would you like to have that guilt of that sin washed away? Would you like to be clean spiritually? You can do that in baptism. Would you like to be a part of the family that Jesus purchased with His blood? You can do that today. We're going to sing an invitation song, which is an encouragement to us to act. Why would you act? Why would you not? That would be the question. If you know you need to obey the gospel, or if you know you're separated from the body of Christ, why would you not? Why would you not want to be restored? Why would you not want to be a part of, the, of the, the body that Jesus purchased with His blood? We're going to sing this song as a song of encouragement. If you have a need, please make it known. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.